Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Teresa Koble. Teresa serves as the E. Desmond Lee Endowed Professor of Experiential and Family Education at the University of Missouri-St. Louis in collaboration with Forest Park Forever. She serves on the National Park Service Advisory Board Education Committee and is Vice President for Administration and member of the Board for the National Association for Interpretation. Welcome, Teresa. Well, thank you so much, Mish. What does this mean, National Association for Interpretation? So That's such a great question. You can go back to earlier, you mentioned that I was on the National Park Service Advisory Board Education Committee. So there is a lot of education that happens inside classrooms and schools. Right. But that's only a piece. And in fact, if you look at all the hours that people spend in their lifetime learning, formal education is a thin sliver compared to all the learning that happens outside the classroom. Right. So when you are young, you run in the woods and play. You go to, you know, maybe a preschool that takes you outdoors. There's time spent with kids and you go on family trips. Uh, A lot of the time you spend as you maybe do your week-long road trip family vacations where you go historic site, there's a house, there's an old um, mining site, maybe there's a historic town, there could be a presidential house, there could be all kinds of sites that your parents drag you off to. There could be the arch, there could be the Blues Museum, and certainly Forest Park has a number of places where people would dive in. So interpretation are all of those places where informal learning happens. Really? And so there is an association for folks who have as their day job to help do education programs, do the signs, flyers, brochures, films, the media, the outreach, the school-based um, joint venture programs, Parks' Classroom kinds of things. There's an organization for that. There's federal agencies that have job classifications in that area, and then there's a whole network of others that are involved in that I think, really exciting area of education. Oh, cool. Okay. And before you came here, you were in Austin, right? No, I was in Texas. Okay. But I was at a university called Stephen F. Austin State University. Oh, well, that's where I got that from. Sorry. It's in Nacogdoches, Texas. (laughs) Where is it? East Texas. That's the oldest town in Texas is Nacogdoches, Texas. It is? Mm -hmm. What did you do there? So, at Stephen F. Austin and... Before, at West Virginia University, I spent 18 years as a faculty member in a department of forestry or a college of forestry. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. And are you kind of sad a little bit about forests because it seems like they are going away from us? So it's such an interesting question about natural resources, natural resource management. You know, the forest is made up of soil and, and water plants. It has a whole kind of living system that helped to support woody vegetation and other kinds of vegetation. We are seeing globally, obviously, lots of impacts with uh, deforestation, desertification, just challenges with the urban-rural interface and sometimes fragmentation of forest systems. So yeah, there's a sadness. There's also a sense of we have um, people who work in policy and planning areas, work at community engagement and try to find solutions that help to support Um, healthy forests, healthy communities at all kinds of levels, and especially at grassroots, which is, gives me hope and encouragement. Right. Well, you know, it's, so I don't know if you know this about St. Louis, but 
armadillos were not here. That's and correct. now armadillos are <laughs> here. here. And the very first time, north. yeah, I mean, I, the very first time I saw one, I was like, was that an armadillo? I did not just see an armadillo. What is an armadillo doing here? Correct. And and when I started seeing a lot more of them, it made me so sad. I thought not not that I I welcome the armadillos. Come on in, hang out. But <laughs> but it made me so sad because I thought this means that they don't have a place to go. Well, actually, I think they're expanding the range, or you could say, as our climate chains changes, you're starting to create more area where populations of armadillos can colonize and thrive. And they okay. are pretty. I like hardy. your idea better than mine. <laughs> they're expanding. <laughs> But it's actually an um, species that are migrating northward and increasing their range upwards in elevation. That's one of the indicators of changing climate. I so got you're you. seeing it when you drive down the road, and there's the dead armadillo. So are we gonna are we gonna see any other species coming here that we we are not used to seeing? Well. There's another famous Texas species, the fire ant, that was a, it's Ooh, exotic. I don't think we want stow those. away from Brazil. I'm hoping, I just keep wanting to imagine that winters here are cold enough that that's not going to be a match. That is really true. I mean, I am not a huge fan of winter, but every winter I'm like, I do want it to get cold enough so that when summer shows up, I'm not going to have to deal with as many mosquitoes. And ticks. And, so mm-hmm. fire ants are the ones that you're just like, I think... I think I had to deal with them in Florida one time. Yeah. We were we were watching a space shuttle take off. And you know, so your your total are focus are oh, <laughs> you know. And then also I was like, "Oh, ow, oh." And and, and exactly. these little horrible ants were biting the heck out of me and those hurt. And they they form very you know, painful bites. They itch. Yeah, it's not a fun thing. And and there's a lot of them. Like you yeah. can't believe you didn't notice them. You're like, right. "What the heck? I'm Where standing did you in a come from? Swarm." Yeah. Oh. Uh, fire ants, you don't have to come here, maybe. I'm hoping. <laughs> I, I move north. Again, nothing against fire ants, just, you know, uh, or maybe they could come, just don't bite anybody. Um, That won't work. <laughs> I know. It's in their <laughs> it's DNA. It's our nature, <laughs> Miss. We can't help that. I know. So, all right. So, so with what you do, I mean, so here we have some an awesome park. Yep. Yes. You're thinking Forest Park. Forest Park. Absolutely. So, I mean... Tell us, tell us all the wonderful things that you love about Forest Park. So, you know, I will say that I compare Forest Park and its role as the green jewel in the center of the city and its connection to the turn of the last century, the City Beautiful movement, the realization of much like what, what happened in Central Park mm-hmm. in the 1850s, developing a space where it can be... Um, People can mix, mingle, get away, recharge, regenerate, sort of adding that community forum, the place where people from all different backgrounds can um, share uh, in fun and discovery, healthful outdoor activities, um, perhaps things that relate to culture and the arts. It's a hub. And I think Forest Park does that. It's You know, I think it's great to have the Great Rivers Greenway. I think having the connective tissue that brings people in and and fans them out. I know that as as an urban area, St. Louis is re-engaging the Mississippi River and the waterfront. So all of these tiers of connectivity, the green heart, the spokes that go out, the river, and then I think the Ozarks and the surrounding rural areas, it's, it's part of understanding your place. It's part of feeling connected to the world around you. I think it helps us be more um, 
in tune maybe with ourselves, but certainly in tune with um, maybe that instinct to want to be good stewards and to care for the neighborhoods, the places where we are. So I think Forest Park has that push in all those directions. Well, it's so beautiful, and I really do love that we, ha- you know, we have the, an art museum that people can go to for free. That you can go to the zoo for free. I mean, yes, there's opportunities to spend money all the time, but <laughs> there, but that it's so it's accessible to everyone. You know, right. everyone can go and visit these amazing places. And it, it's one of my it's one of my bragging points about St. Louis. I Absolutely, mean, I tell people, I'm like, you should come vacation here. I know we, you know, and we don't have expensive parking. Right. (laughs) I would agree. And so the fact that we have 1,300 acres of park landscape with the zoo, 3 million plus visitors a year, the art museum, the history museum, the science center, and the Muni. I mean, all of these elements connected together, I find it to be the natural and cultural heritage um, merging together of two critical areas, I think, of our learning, lifelong learning. And the things that add value and and joy to life. Love it. Love it. We're going to take a quick break. And we will be right back with Teresa Koble. back with Teresa Kobels. So I wrote this down that you, you're we in your wheelhouse is this whole idea about the relationship between humans and our natural resources and the link between social justice and environmental equity. Do tell. So it's such an interesting thing how people change and grow over their career. And so when I started in the field of the human dimensions of natural resources, I worked very closely with park management. You know, you've got crowds coming to beaches or popular destination sites. How do you corral them? How do you make sure that they have fun, but they're not causing impacts to the things they came to see and enjoy? Right. So that's where I started, you know, more managerial, a lot more, I don't know, heavy handed. Like there's all kinds of things you can do with signage and placing personnel at key points and perhaps creating a regulation or even citing people for fines. So, I mean, it felt a little bit on the heavy-handed side. At some point along the way, I had the opportunity to work with some of the most amazing people in the National Park Service who helped me to understand parks not as places to experience in terms of outdoor recreation primarily, but also to go there in terms of seeking to better understand the history and the environment, having a chance to learn, having a chance to think about the meanings and significance of the place, thinking about um, how the things that happen there or the systems that are protected, like you know, tall grass prairie ecosystems or what have you, how they help to influence our understanding of our world now. And so many sites, they tell stories that aren't very fun. You know, you have in the West, you have the Manzanar, site where we inter Japanese Americans. You have a whole ring of um, 
forts, you know, frontier forts that were part of the Indian Wars. You have our arch, which if you go to their exhibit, you'll know that it's the gateway to the West. It's tied to the whole idea of manifest destiny. Well, the settlement West had a lot of uh, impacts with tribes and, you know, the whole history of our Western expansion and our, um, yeah, the tragic stories that unfold as we... Native American genocide and the removal of children from their homes to boarding schools. Just lots of different stories that aren't comfortable. Right. And I started to understand as I thought about national parks, well, you've got issues in land management. How do we maintain quality resources and make good decisions that can keep those resources uh, healthy and functioning and vital? Um, and hopefully unimpaired for future generations. How can you do that? And how can we also think about the challenges we face with the more historical sites and the hard lessons that they bring? And I only stopped at the Mississippi River. If we keep going east, there's just so many sites that have, that introduce us to the challenges that we have grappled with in the past and sometimes swept under the rug and other times held out in the light. And I sense that if we can think of our natural heritage and our cultural heritage as having some embedded in them some of the same challenges about learning, growing, caring, responding, then I think we can make better choices as people in the future. I love it. That is awesome. I mean, that's heady stuff, but that is so awesome. And it's true. I mean, we can't sweep stuff under the carpet. We 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 have to be responsible as a nation, as a people, you know, we have to take responsibility for the things we've done. And then we also have to learn from that, right. hopefully to make a better world. Yeah, yes. that would be an awesome thought and idea, right? Correct. But also, you know, I think about when you were talking about the impact um, in Puerto Rico, I've been there a couple of times mm-hmm. in this little island on, it's called VAKs, and they have a bioluminescent bay. And the first mm-hmm. time I went, it was incredible i mean it was it was like glow in the dark and and, and by agitating these little guys I think or the, plankton or do you know do you know flagellites i yeah, think they're dino called okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Nice. dino there we go and and okay if so i'll, I'll get it but, but so by agitating them the, it would just glow 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 mm-hmm. so and and every time we'd go we would we would go and we knew there was going to be like no moonlight out so we could really get the full experience but at one point it wasn't as exciting. And they even say, please don't wear any kind of sunscreen. Don't wear any kind of bug repellent, which me, who is like a mosquito's delight. I mean, I even didn't. I was like, yeah, I will honor this because I want this to remain. Right. But oh, And because of light pollution, it just mm. has gone downhill. They didn't have a Teresa. <laughs> Actually, they do. I know some people in Puerto Rico who are working on the coast, working in their, um, oh, good. In their land good. management agency. They are fantastic, but it is a challenge. When you think about the mm, choices we make, we, and especially when you look at Puerto Rico or coastal zones, I think we could say 55% of our U.S. population lives within either in a coastal county or one county in. So we have a heavy coastal uh, population base. And we have all kinds of impacts, um, water and, and, and runoff, all kinds of things with um, eutrophication of water sources. We have industrial agriculture and the inputs from those. And in fact, um, talking with Heather Navarro, 
with the Missouri Coalition for the Environment, she was saying that the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, Missouri, agriculture is the number one contributor to that space. Oh. And it's just an issue of how do we manage our, our application of chemicals? How do we use different kinds of farming practices? How do we devise strategies so that we can have less runoff? Um, it's a non-point source pollution challenge, which is always more complicated. But it's a matter of, as you said, people are working on it. It takes time. And I think it's a, you know, economics, our view of how uh, we should grow and what kinds of return on investment and the economic, you know, business cycle we're looking for, what kinds of things we are willing to accept in terms of pollution or throughputs. There's a tremendous amount of trade-offs that we have to consider as a society, and we do need to have an economic engine that can sustain um, livelihood right. and well-being. Yes, um, but consumerism, you know, can go way off the dial. Is that really what we want? Is that adding net value to our lives just because we spend more or generate more, you know, GDP in certain kinds of categories of, you know, goods and services? I would say that we could probably take a collective stock of what our uh, long-term interests are and those of our kids and really assess what is a prudent, maybe, path to go forward. Well, I, I agree. I got to tell you, I think it's, you know, when I was, so I'm, I'm looking at when I was a kid and then these fashion trends would happen and you had to keep up with the fashion trends. Now it's every month. Yeah, it has changed every month. Like this is in this month, and we in and oh, next month it's this. I'm like, I, you know, I can't keep up with this. I cannot keep up with it, and and I feel like it's almost like malls are sort of disposable at this point Mm. because it's like, oh, this this place will be really hot for like ten years, and oh, that place is gone now. This one comes in. It's it's. I and it's almost keep up. migrating outwards. Yeah. We're not keeping and reinvigorating our, our urban core, perhaps no. at least in the retail sector as much as we could. It sort of goes further out with. And it's like at some point we have to quit buying and buying and buying and buying. And it, it, it and the trends have to just like, whoosh. <laughs> maybe, maybe the trend is we like this for a long time. <laughs> so, you know, it's so interesting. There's in forestry, one of our, Founding Fathers of Forestry and Wildlife Management is named Aldo Leopold, and his land ethic came out in uh, his book, Sandy County Almanac, in the in the late 40s. And in that book, he talks about a thing is good when it tends to preserve the beauty, integrity, and health, I think. I'm not going to, I mean, it might misquote, you know, our but founding father the idea. Of, the eco, of the ecosystem oh, or of the land. Okay. And it's wrong when it tends otherwise. So there was a sense of, the good that we can do in caring for the, our neighborhood, our yards, the good that we can do with our parks or with our larger ecosystems is to preserve beauty, integrity, health. But the challenge there is, and some people have asked, well, perhaps Leopold's land ethic is only half a loaf, that the other uh. half is consumption. Like if we are demanding of those systems more than they can provide and consuming you know, at levels that they're not able to recharge or sustain that output for the long term, then we really, you know, all our efforts to conserve aren't really equal to the right. consumption side. Oh, gosh. It, it seems like this really simple thing, but... 
Well, and it's, I mean, if it's like words to live by, right? Thanks, Leopold. These are words to live by. But then, oh, we all get reality. Caught up. Some you move yeah. to a city and you decide, gosh, I need to buy a house. Right. Or maybe I should buy a house. What should I do? And now and I need new furniture because my other furniture doesn't fit with the house I have now. So, yeah. No. And what will have resale value? So, like, you start getting caught in a series of questions that are very different from the other half of the loaf side. You know, I want right. to be careful about that. All right, we need to ponder that other half of the loaf. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with Teresa Coble. with Teresa Coble and it's question time. I have questions for you, ma'am. All right, Forest Park. <laughs> yes. Right, Forest Park forever. Mm-hmm. You know about the hats. Yeah, the hat luncheon. The hat luncheon. All right, what would be in your hat? Oh, that's it. So I will just say, if I could replicate a hat I saw two years ago, um, I think it was somebody connected with one of the local um, green space organizations. She had a hard hat. And on it, I think there might have been a dump truck and a dozer, like they were building a trail and there were trees and it wrapped around the hard hat. Yeah. Cool. I would try to take a page right out of that book. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. All right. Thank you, (laughs) ma'am. All right. So being a part of, you know, with the whole National Park Service and everything, do you have, this is going to be a difficult one. You can Mm -hmm. have more than one, but favorite national parks, park parks. Wow, that's such a great question. So, of course, I'm attracted to the parks that have grand sweeping vistas, that have very unique natural landscapes. So Yellowstone has thermal features, mud pots and travertine terraces um, and geysers and all kinds of, you know, waterfalls and bison and elk. So I would say those places definitely have a place in my heart. I also fell in love as a kid that grew up in North, in Minnesota and spent times in the North Woods when I was in college as a wilderness canoe guide in the Boundary Waters. Like, I love water. I love green. But there's a part of me that found beauty in a whole unexpected way when I first went to the desert parks. So the okay. parks that are in Utah and Arizona. But the Utah parks, I'm thinking of Bryce Canyon, Zion, Arches, these parks have these amazing landscapes where you can walk in and around and among and you get down to places where it's more vegetated and up through the gravelly draws and you see these beautiful rock formations. Um, I, I have loved those. And of course, there are some amazing coastal, beautiful ocean, marine uh, settings as well. Puerto I've Rico heard a has lot. some gorgeous it does. ones. I, it does. It really does. I love Puerto Rico. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite places. And I love that little island because it's, I don't even, I'm not going to tell anybody what, it, I'm not going to say the word again. I don't want people to go there because I'm afraid <laughs> that it's going to become, I mean, they're trying to keep it as a natural park reserve. Yes. They don't want to have all of the the big hotels along the coast mm-hmm. and all that. And I'm, I'm so wishing that, that they can keep it that way right. because you can get a Jeep and just run around and you can go on beaches and there's no one else there the entire day. Yep. There's no one but you there. Yep. And it's really awesome and great snorkeling, which really bums me out when the snorkeling goes, when you hear about a place you used to go snorkel and now the coral reef is dead, which just makes me so sad. 
So, you know, it's interesting because you asked what kinds of parks I like. The other thing I'll say as an add-on to that is I'm attracted to parks by scenic attractiveness and the environmental quality, the beauty of the land. There's no question. But the parks that I visited in Puerto Rico, because I had very capable and knowledgeable guides, they helped us understand the challenges in restoring the ecosystem. You had areas that that whole um, island had been colonized early on by people planting sugar, which is very hard on local systems, and they were, were moving away from the sugar cultivation. And the challenge was how do you restore the hydrology, the water, and the, and the vegetation mix? And so they were really working very hard to take the environment back. And I think it's that hidden story of some of the unintended effects of what, it, of what happened and how people are using a lot of the best tools of management and a whole lot of heart. Yeah. Just dedication to restoring um, tracts of land and restoring this, the environmental function of the systems. It's very encouraging. So that kind of leads to my next question, actually. Hmm. My next question is, so what's right with our region? Oh, that's such a great, because they even have awards for that, right? Or at least in the town <laughs> where I was in Nacogdoches, you know, what's right in the region? So, um I would say that St. Louis has a tremendous history of welcoming people in from different backgrounds. So, for example, the Catholic tier is there. You have the Bosnian immigrants. You have um, certainly a history of African-Americans and whites primarily um, being together. But it also has the challenges of... Uh, how do we bridge divides? How do we um, build community across different culture groups or across different economic or even just our cultural preferences and how we do band together with people like us? And so as we do that and as we safeguard the things that we value, it can really create um, ripple effects <laughs> into the larger system and the lives and communities, um, you know, a gradient of different kinds of benefits and harms that different uh, sites within the larger metropolitan area sort of have to contend with. So I, you asked me what's right, and I did a terrible professor thing. I sort of diagnosed no, some no, of the challenges. No, no, that wasn't challenges. terrible. Plus, you said ripple effect. So, you know, know, that being the theme of our next TEDx event, liked that part. <laughs> yeah. No, and, you know, St. Louis is a converging of two major rivers. It's the place where Lewis and Clark jumped off to do their exploration. It has, um, I think, a place in the imagination of the people of the country, in part because of this idea of gateway to the West. I think that St. Louis is uniquely positioned to showcase the work that's being done at the community level, at the grassroots level, across different faith communities, there's so much work being done with nonprofits and um, incubator groups, people that are trying to nurture um, small business and all kinds of um, entrepreneurial work that can help address social change needs. All of this is happening in St. Louis. And right. there is a bubbling up, I think, of passion, perhaps since... 2014 and what happened in Ferguson with Michael Brown, I sense that there is a renewed commitment by many people to put more skin in the game, to really be involved in trying to address some of these systemic issues that go way back 
They happen nationally, but I think St. Louis is uniquely positioned to get some headway on some of the bigger challenges. I love it. And and yeah, and I, and I would love for the media to come here and showcase some of that. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. there are some amazing things going on, but we we I think the nation looks at St. Louis and like, "Well, don't go there." You know. And 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 I'm going, "No, wait. Wait. Exactly. I know, but come on. You know, there's a lot of amazing people here that are working on things, that are looking at everything, that are considering what we can do." That their heart is there. They want to make our region awesome. It's not just all, you know, and even, you know, we had protesters just recently and it was, it was, it was relatively peaceful. I mean, they were peaceful about it and people do have the right. They have the right. That's part of being an American citizen is you have the right to say, I don't like something. Correct. You know, that's okay to do. And so it's incumbent on us. And I, would suggest that we have had a uh, a long history in our nation of not really being out front with some of the warts and blemishes, not really addressing head on the deeper, more challenging issues that divide us. And we get divided on all kinds of different ways. Right. I think we're starting to see that we can't just assume that all the pieces are going to cohere minus a concerted effort on the part of everyone to sort of figure out what does it really take to fix it or how can we heal? I love it. I'm all about the healing. Thanks, Teresa. That, that's just fascinating. And I'm excited about your talk. Thank you. So how's that going with preparing uh, for that? It's a lot of work, right? It's absolutely a lot of work and it's a personal journey. It's a professional journey. It is such a good thing that it's not happening in a, in, in a vacuum. The TEDx organization is really fantastic in terms of providing resources, support, training, step-by-step, hand-holding, all Yay. kinds of things that make it I work. I love hearing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's important. And, you know, we look at it as, you know, this is, it's a moment for you to shine, but that, you know, we want you to be really, really shiny because that 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 helps. It's, it's like great for the audience. It's great for everybody that's involved. So thank you so much for agreeing to be one of our speakers. Wow. Thank you so much, Mish. And for coming on today. This is fun and awesome. I enjoyed it. Yay. Thanks, Teresa. <laughs> uh-huh. And for everybody out there, you guys have a great day. Make sure to subscribe to Mishmash on iTunes. See you next time.